Well, good morning once again to each and every one. We are going to start our lesson off this morning, noticing a verse in the book of Proverbs, chapter 22. Proverbs 22, in the very first verse there, it tells us a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, loving favor rather than silver and gold. You may have noticed the church next door has changed their sign. About a week ago, I guess they made the change, and now it says, new season, new name, coming soon. And as I read that, it made me stop and consider some different things. Namely, the question, what's in a name? Now, I always have to inject a little bit of humor into our lessons, and so we have Inigo Montoya there on the screen, and he's famous for that line in the movie Princess Bride, hello, my name is Inigo Montoya, right? But we understand that there's a lot in a name, that the name that we are given was given for a reason. You think about asking your parents, well, why did you name me this? And there's usually a story, or they liked the meaning of whatever name they chose for you. As we think about biblical names, as we're going to spend some time looking at some examples this morning throughout the course of the lesson, uh, those names had purpose behind them. Certain individuals were given certain names because of the meaning behind those names. And so we're going to think about what's in a name in a couple different senses. We're going to think about it in the sense of the church. Does it matter what name, for example, we would put on our sign out front? We're going to think about it in the sense of individually, what name we wear. And is there a significance to that? Does it really matter what name we would choose? And then lastly, this morning, we're going to think about the question of when, if ever, is it appropriate for us to change our name? And so I would encourage you to have a Bible handy as we go throughout our study, recognizing, of course, that we want to look at what God has said. We're not concerned with what Devin thinks about anything, but we're concerned with what has God revealed in his word for us to know. What is truth? And so have a Bible handy as we go throughout the lesson so that we can confirm those things that are being taught. Is the name on the sign important? Now, as you well know, we have the name Burbank Road Church of Christ on our sign. Now, where did we come up with that? Was that just a committee that got together or somebody that had the idea? Well, I think that seems like a good name. Well, that's actually based upon the scripture in Romans 16 and verse 16, where it refers to the churches of Christ, several different congregations, local groups of faithful believers in different locations referred to in that way. And so we meet here on 
Burbank Road, and so we are the Burbank Road Church of Christ. So we're going to talk more about why we landed on that particular name as we go on, but we could think about other biblical names that we might call ourselves. For example, based on 1 Corinthians 1 and 2, we could put on the sign the Church of God that is at Worcester. Uh, that would be a perfectly biblical way to describe ourselves according to how Paul refers to the church in Corinth there in that verse and uh, also in his second epistle to the Corinthians as well. We could simply put on the sign, the saints who are in Worcester. Uh, That would be biblical based upon Ephesians 1 and verse 1, where Paul refers to the church there in that way. We could simply put the way on the sign. The church in the book of Acts in several different places is referred to uh, in that way and obviously has reference to Jesus being the way to God as he himself declared. We could simply put the church. And in fact, if you think about the way that God's people are referred to in the New Testament more often than not, that is really the name that is used, just simply the church. Because if you think about uh, the course of history, As we read, for example, in the book of Acts, at that point, men had not yet created all these denominational bodies. And so there was no need to differentiate, really, when referring to the church, because there was, and really still is, just one true church that belongs to Christ. And so why did we hone in on church of Christ? Have you ever stopped and thought about that? Well, why Is that the name that we commonly refer to, not just ourselves here, but if we were to go traveling somewhere, we would typically look for that name on the sign if we were seeking a faithful congregation of God's people. Well, that name is really the most succinct way to refer to what the church is and who it belongs to. If you think about the scriptures, for example, in Matthew 16 and verse 18, Jesus there, as Peter had made that declaration, that truthful acknowledgement of who is Christ, he'd asked them, well, who do men say that I am? And they said, well, this, that, and the other. But then he asked, well, who do you say that I am? Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And so in verse 18, Jesus responds and he says, I say that you are Peter, and on this rock, that confession, that solid truth, I will build my church, he says. The gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. In other words, my death is not going to stop the establishment of my church, my kingdom. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28, as Paul there spoke to the Ephesian elders, he says, Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which, notice, he purchased with his own blood. It belongs to him. He is the rightful owner and head of the church as he purchased it through the blood that he shed on the cross. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 22 
He put all things under his feet. That is, God put all things under Christ's feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And if you think about it logically, again, noting the fact that men have devised various denominational bodies that we refer to as churches, but have strayed from the truth of God's word in one capacity or another. Why would we not, for example, want to put uh, the church of God on the sign? Well, that might be confusing based on some denominational groups that are now well established. And so people that are looking for the New Testament church might see that name. And even though it is found in scripture, as we had noted, because of the existence of that man-made denomination might say, well, that's not what I'm looking for. And so how can we most succinctly refer to ourselves based upon biblical descriptions? And I think Church of Christ is about as summarized and appropriate as we might be able to come up with. You know, we have to acknowledge the fact that just because a group of people might have the right name on the sign, it doesn't necessarily mean that what they're doing is correct in light of the scriptures. And that's highlighted for us in Revelation chapter 3. Verses 1 through 3 there, we find that Jesus is addressing the church in Sardis. And he says, these things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works. That notice you have a name that you are alive. But the problem was, he says, you are dead. And so be watchful, he says. Strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour... I will come upon you. So while it is important to think about what name we would call ourselves by as the church, we must again remember that there is more to it than just the name. We have to be living and practicing what Christ has instructed. Now what about the name that we call ourselves and Julie Andrews, of course, refers to me as a name that I call myself. But what about us as individuals? And we think about spiritually, of course. Uh, Just referring to ourselves as me, obviously, is not appropriate in that sense. And so, what name should we use? Well, if we look around the world today, we can see all kinds of different names, can't we? We might think about Jehovah's Witnesses. Now, that's the name that some refer to themselves as. I'm a Jehovah's Witness, but we can trace that name all the way back to one Charles Russell in 1874. It was the origination of that particular designation. Versus, of course, what we're looking for is is a biblical name, right? We might think about Lutheran is a name that some call themselves. It traces all the way back to Martin Luther in 1530. 
We can think about Presbyterian, tracing back to John Calvin in 1535. We can think about Mormons. Some refer to themselves that way. That traces back to Joseph Smith in 1830. We can think about Methodists, tracing back to John Wesley in 1729. Or Baptists, that's a very common uh, term that people will use to refer to themselves in, in regards to their faith. Tracing back to John Smith in 1607, Catholic, another example, tracing back to Boniface III, who was considered by most to be the first pope in 696. And I can remember growing up, I would have conversations with classmates in school, and we'd get to talking about church and things, and they would say, well, well, what are you? And I'd say, oh, I'm a Christian. And they say, well, yeah, yeah, I know, I know that, but, but what are you? Looking for some kind of further designation, right, as to what I am. And I'd say, I, I don't have any other uh, descriptor to give you. It's just Christian. And, and I would try and explain, of course, but I usually would be met with some perplexed uh, stares and, and confusion because this is what Society, by and large, at least here in, in our country, has become accustomed to. It's all Christian, many will say, but then there's these filtered down versions or flavors of Christianity. But is the name we call ourselves important? Well, yes, it is. And you'll notice in Acts chapter 11 and verse 26 that there is a very specific name given to those who are following Christ. It says there, when they found him, he brought him to Antioch, referring to Paul. And it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And notice the disciples, the learners of Christ, were first called Christians in Antioch. No further designation needed other than I am a Christian. I am a disciple or a learner of Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 27. Notice here the language. It says, as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Right? And that includes the name of Christ. In Galatians 2 and verse 20. That same letter, Paul said this, I have been crucified with Christ, referring to his conversion, his repentance and baptism into Christ, as he would later refer to in that third chapter. But notice he says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so Paul on numerous occasions explained that his identity was now inseparable from Jesus Christ, his savior. And so it should be and must be with you and I. Now I thought back to Exodus chapter 20 and verse 7 you might think, well, where are we going now? Uh, because now we're back at the Ten Commandments. You remember that were given to the Israelites. Now, we've had studies before and established the fact that 
Uh, We are not under the Ten Commandments today, but many of those commandments were reiterated under the law of Christ. But I think about that third commandment, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now, we understand commonly that when we speak about taking the Lord's name in vain, it refers to using his name vainly, whether we're swearing or making oaths in his name or things that we ought not to do. But have you ever thought about it in the sense of taking his name as we do when we are baptized into Christ, we take that name, and and we can take that name in vain, in the sense of not representing that name appropriately. Uh, We can go about living in a way that would bring shame to Christ. I think about in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 14. Here, Peter kind of touches on this idea somewhat. Now, he's talking here in context about uh, suffering and persecution that undoubtedly will come our way as Christians. And he says in verse 14, If you're reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he's blasphemed, but notice on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a busybody in other people's matters. Those kinds of things will not glorify that name. But if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but let the one who does glorify God in this matter, he says. And so we need to think about not only the importance of the name that we call ourselves, but are we living up to that name appropriately? Are we living in such a way that we are representing our Savior and Lord as he would have us to? Now, that third question that I had mentioned we would get to, when, if ever, is changing our name appropriate? Now, we're not trying to pick on uh, our neighbors next door here, but is it appropriate just because it's a new season, for example, as they have noted on their sign, uh, to suddenly feel the urge to change their name or our name? Uh, When, if ever, is that actually appropriate? Well, we know, and I had alluded earlier to the fact that We can look at examples in Scripture where at times uh, different ones' names were changed. And uh, the examples that we cite here in Genesis 17 and in chapter 32 were uh, changed by God himself. In chapter 17 and verse 5, we see there where Abram was changed to Abraham. And if you look up the meanings of those names, you go from exalted father to the father of many playing into, of course, the promise that God made to him. In chapter 32 and verse 28 is where uh, Jacob's name was changed to Israel. And that was on the occasion where, you recall, he had wrestled with the angel of the Lord and prevailed. And you look at the name Israel, and that is really what the 
literal meaning of that name is. One who wrestles with God. And in some senses, that's a kind of an interesting thing to think about as you look at then the history going forward. And uh, there was kind of a continual wrestling with God, in a sense, as they faltered between uh, faithfulness and unfaithfulness and were led into captivity and all these different things. But we see that at times people's names were changed. And we might think about Jesus for just a minute and the names of Christ. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 23. There Jesus is referred to using the name Emmanuel, which that name means God with us. We might think about Christ. That's the way we, I think, most typically refer to our Savior. We just refer to him as Christ or Jesus Christ. Uh, The word Christ is the Greek word for Messiah. And Messiah, of course, literally defined is anointed one. Uh, The name Jesus itself, derived from the Hebrew Yeshua or Joshua, means God is salvation. So there are meanings behind names. And at times we see where certain ones had their name changed. What about us? When, if ever, is changing our name appropriate? I'd like us to think for just a minute about the concept of marriage. We understand that when a man and a woman come together as husband and wife, what happens in regards to names on that occasion? Well, the woman takes the name of her husband, doesn't she? And if you think about that concept, it is quite fitting as we begin to answer our question because we come to Ephesians chapter 5 and we see that this very same analogy is used in talking about the church and Christ. He says there in verse 22, we'll read a portion of what Paul has to say. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife as also Christ is head of the church and he is the savior of the body therefore just as the church is subject to christ so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything husbands love your wives just as christ also loved the church and how much did he love the church to the point that he gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word that he might present her to himself as a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. And so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. And so as we think about the concept of being wedded to Christ, becoming part of the church, uh, naturally then there would be a change in our name, wouldn't there? We would take that name of Christ. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 12, we read here, Jesus speaking, He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar, In the temple of my God, he shall go out no more. 
I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. It's all reference to the church. I will write on him my new name. And so when we become a part of that kingdom, that body, that church that he died and purchased with his blood through obedience to the gospel, we receive that new name. We become a Christian, as we had talked about. Second Corinthians 5, verse 17 also highlights this. And therefore, Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, Galatians 3, 27 tells us how that happens. He is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And so, Really, it's a very amazing thing to stop and think about the transformation that happens for one who submits to the gospel and is washed as they go into that watery grave of baptism of their sins, made a new creation, given a new name, and given new hope of eternity with God someday. And so what's in a name? Well, quite a bit, as we have noticed this morning. We will conclude by reading in John chapter 3, verses 3 through 6. Here again, Jesus is explaining uh, what is necessary for one to look forward to heaven, to be cleansed of their sins. As he speaks with Nicodemus, he says, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said, well, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say, unless one is born of water and the spirit, He cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the spirit is spirit. This new birth is something that you can experience even here today, this very morning. As we have the water prepared, what is absent, of course, is your willingness to subject to the spirit of God who has revealed the truth of the gospel for us to either dismiss or to embrace. And that is the decision you, of course, must make. Am I going to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died for my sins, that he rose again the third day, overcoming death and giving me hope of the very same? Or will I put it off for another week? Or will I put it off for another year or whatever we surmise in our minds as appropriate, I would encourage all those who have never named the name of Christ or been baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of sins to get that new name, that new identity, to take advantage of the opportunity you now have this morning. We would love to assist you in these things. If you're here as a Christian and you have wandered astray or you are facing things in your life at this time that are difficult and you need prayers, we would likewise stand ready to assist you, to pray with you and pray for you. Whatever we might be able to do to assist you this morning in regards to your relationship with God through his son, 
We would encourage you to make those things known while at this time we stand together and sing the song that our brother has selected. <laughs>